Science, our podcast on science education in various places around the world. I'm Lev Horodisky. I'm Fabia Battistuzzi. Oh, yes, you sound very awake today. <laughs> I am uh, very uh, busy with my administrative job today. <laughs> um, I was going to go into a segue on how you're thinking about places you've gone on vacation, right? Well, that is where I would like to be instead of being in my office doing my administrative job. Um, yes, I would love to go on vacation. I haven't been on one in a long time. And where would your ideal vacation place be? Honestly, right now, an isolated island where I have no internet, no phone, no email, and nobody can contact me so that people leave me alone. <laughs> well, that's perfect. That will be a good segue to what we'll be discussing later. Um, but what do, you, what do you tend to do on, on your holidays? See, that is a very difficult question because I always say that I would like to have, I'm at the stage of life now where I would like to have a vacation where I basically sit and do nothing, but I know me and I cannot sit and do nothing. So I need to do something that is fun, but at the same time, kind of useful because otherwise I get stressed out. So I'm a difficult person to go on vacation. Ah, yes. I think I feel the same way. I think one time, I think I tried to relax once and it was awful. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly my problem. It's awful to be relaxing. See, that's the issue. But I think we're a broken lab. So we belong to a very unique category of people. That is true. But for people like us, there are apparently opportunities for enrichment and also job opportunities. So if you get sick of your job, our, our guest today, I think will have some uh, thoughts on what you can do as your backup career. Yeah, which I think I might actually eventually do because that really does sound very cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I don't think we should keep our uh, listener waiting. Uh, so our guest today is Dr. Dario Carbone. He is an assistant professor of physics at the University of the Virgin Islands. Uh, welcome, Dario. Yeah, hello, Lev. Hello, Fabia. Yes. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, we met, I think we met for the first time on a yacht. That's true. We were jumping on a yacht the first time we met. <laughs> See, yeah. you guys have the best adventures. It's not fair. <laughs> hey, you could have come down to the Virgin Islands at any time. That is true. Oh, well, I'll come and visit you in Brazil, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, Dario, do you want to explain what we were doing on a yacht? Otherwise, I'll just keep talking. <laughs> so, uh, we were going to basically uh, talk to the crew of, uh, of the yacht on, on, on the stars, you know, to try to educate them on, on, on what you can see in the night sky, uh, because they wanted to basically... Uh, learn in order to offer their own guests an experience like that. So people who go uh, on, on a yacht, like on a night cruise or sunset cruise, you are in the middle of the, of the ocean with a very nice and dark sky, and you can see all of these stars and, and they want to know what they're looking at. That is very 
that is very cool. So how did, did they actually learn something? Um, uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not an easy thing to do, to learn astronomy in such a way that you can explain it to the public and presumably in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we did our best, I have to say. <laughs> I think so. And then we're working on improving the model uh, through other projects in the uh, Virgin Islands. Um, so, but you've done this kind of thing before, haven't you? I have, yes. This is not the first time I am in a tropical environment doing astronomy. <laughs> so tell us more about that. Because we were having, uh, as we were getting started up, we had a conversation about uh, Italian tourism operators that sent you to the Maldives to become the village astronomer? <laughs> yes, that, that's, that's a good way of describing my job. I was the, the, the astronomer of the village, you know. <laughs> Instead of the fool of the village, I was the astronomer of the village there. <laughs> and yeah, so basically what I did, uh, this happened like 12 years, no, 11 years ago, I have to say, yeah. Such a long time ago. Uh, I was basically uh, sent to the, the uh, to two actually, actually three total, uh, uh, resorts, two in the Maldives Islands and one in, in the Red Sea, in, in Egypt along the Red Sea coast, to basically entertain the guests with uh, my vast knowledge about astronomy and you know, constellations, uh, etc. So yeah, that, that was a very nice opportunity to mix up basically my two, two of my uh, passions, you know, swimming in the ocean, scuba diving, and and astronomy, so that was not a bad deal for myself. <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, how did you end up in that position? What, what was your, what is your background? <clears throat> I, I am an astronomer by formation. Uh, okay. I studied astronomy and actually thanks to my university uh, links, at, that's how I got, I, I got this job. I can tell this fun story on how I actually got to know that such a thing was actually a thing existed. Uh, so it, it's all thanks to or because of, I don't know, uh, uh, a colleague of mine, another uh, master student at the time, who was graduating in astronomy uh, at the University of Milan Bicocca. But because of a few you know, hiccups he was finding along the way, he had to graduate in like June. And then he was not ready. He couldn't do that. He had to postpone to September. And then he could not. He had to postpone. He went to December and finally made it. And so at his graduation party, he was, uh, how do you say, not very sober. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and, and he was cheering, at this time of the year, I should be in the Maldives Islands being paid to do astronomy instead of being here and struggling to get my degree. And said, okay, Manu, wait a second. What did you just say? <laughs> and he told me about, uh, about this thing, about this opportunity. And uh, yeah, I took it out myself. And this is, these are the good stories that come out when somebody actually gets drunk. Nobody in biology gets drunk, so I never went to any <laughs> fun place to actually do biology. See? <laughs> now you know what you're doing student group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. as a biologist, you could have been a colleague of mine because I was saying that, you know, in, in these places where you're uh, in a tropical environment on the sea, you know, full of corals and fishes and, and sharks. So actually one of the, yeah, true. I have the first time I jumped in the sea in the Maldives Islands, there was a shark two meters away from me. Oh, geez. 
not a big one, not you know a white shark or anything like that. One of those reef sharks. Okay. But still, it was like a meter and a half long, two or three meters away from me. So that was okay. Welcome to the Maldives Islands. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so in the Maldives yeah. and, and also in the Red Sea, they always had a, a marine biologists on the spot. So there's definitely opportunities for for biologists to enjoy something like these. Unfortunately, Fabia studies bacteria, so she will not be allowed to go to the Maldives. I am entirely sure there are, there's plenty of bacteria <laughs> as well. Exactly. I can do the microbiome of the island, so that would work <laughs> just fine. <laughs> so what was it like uh, doing uh, this job at these locations? What was your um, data day-to-day activities? Did you do this every day or did you get to enjoy the area as well? Uh, luckily, uh, as an astronomer, you kind of can only work at night. <laughs> <laughs> so the full day is for yourself and guests are there to relax. So they actually don't want to stay up all night. So uh, the typical day, uh, the typical job day was uh, twofold. Like in, during the day, I had some duties and during the night, there were some, something different to do. Nothing too heavy, I have to say. So first of all, during the day, I was part of the staff. So I had to know if, if guests needed, needed any help in the resort, I was a possible point of contact. I knew nothing. So I would just say, okay, I'll, I'll ask who can do that. But you know, you, you have to, you're, you're in contact with the people. So you have to behave. Um, then the second, the second thing that we were doing is that always linked to the marine biologist, uh, there were two, one or two, depending on how many people were there, uh, organized snorkeling during the day, uh, something like 10 o'clock in the morning and three, four o'clock in the afternoon. And when I was hired, actually one of the requirements or, you know, yeah, let's put it requirements was you had to be able to swim and possibly have some experience, you know, with, uh, you know, lap saving or something like that. So I, I am not a, a lifeguard, but I, I am certified scuba diver. So you have to at least know some basic of dragging somebody out of the water in case of need. So basically my job was to be uh, at the end of the queue of, of the snorkelers with you know, a lifesaver, life-saving uh, tool, let's say, just in case anything, anything happened. But still, you get to enjoy to be there with somebody who actually can explain you what kind of fish or what kind of coral you're looking at and, nice. and saying, telling some nice stories. Uh, that gets us to lunchtime, regular lunch. And then in the afternoon, again, there was this snorkel of the day uh, at, at three o'clock, something like that. And then the name of the resort was actually the, <clears throat> excuse me, the tea club, because at five o'clock, there's tea time. So five o'clock, everybody, all of the, uh, all of the, you know, uh, local uh, people for the resort had to be there. And myself and the uh, biologists typically, we were kind of going table to table. And, and, you know, if people wanted to ask something or you wanted to promote what was going to happen in, in the afternoon or evening, but mostly just stay there and people had questions like you know the weirdest questions that they did not feel asking in front of the whole crew they typically ask there in a you know a more familiar more intimate environment like you know are there aliens out there are we going to be destroyed the first time we encounter any aliens or uh, you know some other you know uh, um, funnier let's say questions that, that, that they had 
And then during the night, uh, it really depended on, on, on the day, but typically over, over a week with seven nights, uh, one night was reserved for uh, check-in and check-out. Uh, another couple of nights were uh, reserved for the marine biologists to, to explain something about the local environment and things like that. And a couple of nights were for myself to give you know, public presentations about things that could be seen uh, from that place or you know, funny things. For example, I had a couple of presentations, one about the solar system, emphasizing on the planets that could be seen uh, during that period of the, of the year. And another one going you know, for, from, you know, from zoom in on the earth to zoom out to the full uh, universe, again, emphasizing on some of the things that could be seen uh, during the night. That typically was going for, on for about an hour, less than an hour. And then every night that was clear, I was taking out a telescope. We had a telescope there and, and, and showcasing you know, some of the things that could be seen. So typically it, it was going on until like 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the, in the night. Cool. So how big were the groups that you were dealing with usually? Well, it really depended there because, for example, I've been I've been in the, in in Egypt over uh, Christmas week and New Year's week, and they were two completely different numbers. You know, for Christmas you spend with with a family. You know, you're Italian. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. Most of my guests were Italian. The company was Swiss Italian, so we actually got some international international people, but most of them were most of the guests were Italian. So most of the Italians spent Christmas <laughs> yep. with their families. So the group over the Christmas week was pretty small, like you know, 10 people, 12 people total. Uh, that was very different during New Year's, <laughs> New Year's week. New Year's week, we had like 50 or 60 guests there. Wow. Uh, and I wanna say that I would, 80 to 90% of the people were showing up for, for the, the public presentations. And I would say more than half of them came over uh, to the telescope to observe, and in the Maldives Islands, they, they were the numbers were similar because you know I was there right after that that time, so beginning of January until mid February. That's high season there, uh, mm -hmm. so I also got like 50, 60 people present huh? every day. So you got quite a bit of experience talking to relatively large groups of the general yes. public, and yeah. you know, explaining relatively complex um topics to the general public yeah yeah that was absolutely a very very uh, i would say formative experience for myself uh, i really learned a lot about you know how you can how as a science how scientist you can and should relate with the general public because again when you have that kind of a uh, of, of crowd yes i mean they they already are kind of prepared already that they're going to listen to something scientific because when they booked their, 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 their vacation, they knew what they were going to get, I think. <laughs> uh, <Maybe. laughs> so already, you're, you're already talking to somebody who's prone to listening to you. It's not really, you know, the, you stop somebody on the road and, and you start talking to them. That's not, that's not a kind of, of, of people. But on the other hand, you should absolutely uh, expect that they know nothing before talking to you. So you really have to go back to the basic and still trying to build up from there to uh, have some, some meaningful conversation. So that was, that was very, 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 very nice and very formative for myself. 
So how does that compare to your experience in the uh, U.S. Virgin Islands? Because I think you arrived there, was it shortly before the pandemic or were you there for a while before the pandemic? Uh, I arrived four months before the pandemic. Something okay. Like that. So, so I moved there in, in August, uh, mid-August, and the pandemic hit like what was it, February. So probably like five to six months. Did you have a- uh, so I, I could see part of how we do outreach here before the pandemic hit, but not too much. Oh. And uh, the way they compare, it's actually pretty similar. They, there, there are some, some, some similarities there. Because again, here we have open nights uh, at the observatory that we have here on island. And back before the pandemic, we, have, we had every other month uh, a planetarium session. We have an inflatable portable planetarium. And again, the setup is similar. You have about that number of people, like, you know, 50 to 60 people in front of you at a time, um, a bit less for the, for, the, for the observatory nights, just because we can't fit them inside of there. So we have like, you know, shifts of a, a, bit, a, bit, a bit less than that. Uh, of people who you can't assume know anything about, about astronomy, but they are willing to listen to you because they, again, they, they chose to, to show up to those events. So they are, uh, you know, uh, inclined to, to, to listen to you. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty similar. It's pretty similar, I have to say. So what kind of people do the events in the Virgin Islands draw? Is it mostly tourists or is it a lot of local people as well? Because I know we were talking earlier in the season, we were talking with uh, Nikita uh, on her experiences living on island. And she's working on these projects to uh, help draw in more locals to some of these, uh, some of these activities that we're doing. Uh, so uh, my experience is actually that mostly residents show up at the events. Uh, I think we can do a better job uh, at advertising these to, to tourists, you know, to the local resorts that are around or, and or uh, if there are you know, uh, cruise ships that um, stay here for the night, or, uh, it's possible that we can attract some of those to our events. But my experience is that it's mostly locals who, who want to join these kind of events. Again, we can definitely do and should do a better job at advertising these even more with the local population. But it, in my opinion and in my experience, it's mostly residents who, who, who want to do this. But that's kind of nice because it shows how, the, how well the university is integrated within the local community. Um, which is something that I think most of the uh, U.S., at least the U.S. institutions, but I think all institutions uh, worldwide are kind of always looking and and hoping to do, right, to to integrate within the community so that uh, they, it's a sort sort of a common good. Uh, The university helps the community, the community helps the university because the students end up enrolling in the university. And <laughs> so it's a, it's a nice system that works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think we as, as scientists and as university, in, in my case, and in, in yours as well, part of university, but it doesn't matter, even if you're it's just like, you know, a research center, it doesn't matter. Uh, we should not live in our, on our ivory tower or anything. We are part of the community. We must be part of the community and we need to uh, be engaged with the local community. 
And as you were saying, Fabio, that's I am absolutely uh, in agreement with you. Uh, it, it's beneficial for everybody. It's beneficial for the university to be welcomed and 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 you know to attract people from from the local community. And it's a benefit for the local community to have a research institution or a university that is engaged with them. There's yep. opportunities from one side for the other at every stage. Yep. I'm curious, uh, these experiences, uh, these very, you know, um, extensive experiences that you had with and that you're still having in, uh, in outreach, do, they, do you see them helping you now? Now that you are an assistant professor, uh, and I assume you are, you know, you are teaching, you have your own students, uh, you're probably doing the research. Do you, do you see the connections there? Well, I think it definitely helped me, uh, especially at the beginning when I was starting to teach. It can be a bit, uh, you know, uh, intimidating, uh, you know, yep. you're suddenly on the other side and you are the one talking in front of a, a full crowd. Uh, so that experience that def definitely helped me, you know, it was loosen up. I was already used to being the one uh, in control of the situation, in control mm -hmm. of the discussion, if you want. Uh, and on the other hand, it also made me a bit, uh, maybe more familiar, more, more used to, again, um, uh, I'm not saying that students are at the same level as the general public, but sometimes they are. So you, you need to, yep. to you know, uh, talk about something that sometimes can be complicated, not straightforward, in a way that is intelligible at the level of your listener. Uh, that's something that sometimes is, is not, it's, it's pretty hard to do for, for a professor. And I know some very eminent scientists who are not very good at what I'm about to say. Like, if you know everything, you are not the one dictating the tone of the discussion. Otherwise you talk to yourself. You're not doing any outreach and you're not doing any teaching. You are saying something you already know to yourself, which like is not, that. I don't find this very useful. Yep, so that is a very good a way of balance, putting it. There's a fine balance uh, between you wanting to still deliver a meaningful message and delivering that message at a level that is actually comprehensible for your audience. Like when, when you're talking to students, you still want them to get the full message of your physics class that you are delivering that day without lowering the content too much. But on the other hand, if you don't get the message across, you might include whatever content you want, they're getting nothing. So it's a fine balance to, to find there. And I definitely think that my, experience, my prior experience in outreach uh, helped me out to set the pace uh, probably quicker than I would have done otherwise. Do you think there is a, uh, an opportunity for uh, students to get more involved in astrotourism and, and, and any kind of other uh, scientific tourism? Because I think prior to meeting you, I hadn't really thought about tourism as a sector in which you can integrate science. Uh, but now we have these projects that we're working on uh, in the Virgin Islands and thinking about other places we could implement them. It seems like tourism is a really interesting opportunity for integrating science that I don't think has really been talked about in a lot of places. Uh, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I think that should be done, and probably this links up to, to the very beginning of this conversation. Like, What do you want to do when you're on vacation? Uh, 
probably this is something that not everybody going uh, on vacation would appreciate, but definitely some of them would. So I definitely support the fact that this can be explored in other means, probably not have, having, having you know, science conversation as kind of an alternative to some other opportunities that people can have while enjoying their, their spare time. Um, um, about whether students, whether there are opportunities for students to be, to be involved, uh, I am, uh, uh, I'd say a living uh, testimony, like witness about that, you know, uh, I was a student when I was doing it. Uh, I was a master's student. I, fin I just finished my, my bachelor degree because that was again a requirement. You need to have a degree in, in what you were going to talk about. But again, I just finished my, my, my triennale for the Italians out there. You know the bachelor, the bachelor basically of science, and I was enrolled as a master student while I was doing that. So yes, I think that that students can be involved and and, and should be involved. Um, then it depends on how you, how you want to implement it. Like, you know, for example, here in the Virgin Islands, I would definitely encourage most of our students to to participate. We encourage our students to be part of our uh, outreach events, which are at the moment again targeted mostly to, to residents, but open for tourists as well. And we should definitely try and do a better job at involving tourists. One thing that we can just just throwing it out there, and for those of you who are in communities who are actually uh, touristic places, you can deliver, for example, can get an agreement with some hotel resort sometimes and just deliver the science as you know an opportunity for the night at the resort. Like just have an open night at the resort with a telescope, carrying a telescope with you, or doing a public presentation. Uh, at the hotel. So that's definitely something that students can and probably should be involved as well. All right, excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been a very interesting uh, conversation, has opened up some, I think, interesting opportunities that, that people haven't really thought about, I think. Yeah, again, thank you very much for having me. It was great. So, Fabia, what did you learn today? Well, actually two very important things. First, that there are portable inflatable uh, observatories that I did not know about. And I'm going to talk to my institution about it because we don't have an observatory and I think we should have one. And so maybe that would be the way of getting them one. So I will follow up on with Dario on that in a separate email. Um, and then I have learned that there are so many cool ways of connecting with the public that I had not thought about, like you were saying, uh, tourism, it's an excellent way. And, you know, we kind of touched upon this concept uh, in uh, other episodes of this, uh, of this podcast, um, but it's nice to see how it actually worked out. And it's nice to see this, that students were, are involved in it. Uh, that's a very good way of getting students to have an experience while actually having fun, which is the key to get students involved in doing things. <laughs> fun yeah. and the free pizza, at least. Yes, free pizza. American I was ones. about to say getting paid, but we could get away with free pizza for students. Yep. Um, well, Usually. Yeah, what, what I think is interesting uh, about the whole thing is just thinking about the tourism sector, because when you think about uh, typically when you think about, I think about my parents, they like to go on cruises and there are always educational opportunities on cruises. I know one of our previous guests, uh, Steve, uh, Steve Desch, he had, he talked about opportunities of being like the cruise astronomer, 
I, I think he said he passed on it because he wasn't sure how he was going to use a telescope on a uh, cruise ship uh, that was rocking and swaying. Um, but the idea that you can um, work in this sector, I think it's important, especially because for younger people, especially like millennials and Gen Z, their tourism tastes tend to be a bit different. At least that's the discussion I've been hearing that there are people who like to go on tours and see the highlights of a certain place and get, get a quick talk about them. Uh, but there are all sorts of opportunities for people my age, uh, our age and, and younger, uh, not by much, just a little bit younger, uh, <laughs> um, in, in having experience, experiences in places. And I know frequently when I'm looking at places to stay, I don't usually always look for pre-prepared tours and packages, but look at Airbnbs and look very localized experiences I could have and, and having an opportunity, seeing that this is a potential growth market and it's a place where uh, people can cut, cut their teeth on, um, on doing public outreach with, with, uh, with, the, with the public in, in a fun setting. I think well, that's really you and if you think about it, uh, it's, I guess I don't know why the sciences haven't thought about it before, but most of the tourism, well, not most, but a lot of the tourism that people do is like when you go in a new city, whether it's organized or not, what do you do? You learn about the history of that city, whether it's, uh, you know, archeological history, especially if you go to Italy um, and many other countries or, uh, you know, the culinary history or, you know, whatever it may be, it's the history of those people. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's archeology, it's sociology, it's humanities, it's arts. The sciences have their role too. And if we start bringing in that aspect, it also has the advantage of connecting the sciences to different, uh, to, to a very different population because you have, you know, the, like you said, you have the Gen Z's and the millennials that are looking for a, a certain type of vacation, which in often cases is educational, at least partly, but you are also looking at the individuals like, you know, your parents or people that are a little bit younger than your parents, people that are in their, in their 50s, they have young families. And so you are automatically catching the people that, you know, the, the bank manager that usually doesn't think about the sciences, but they still need to have some sort of scientific background that is useful for a citizen and they have young children and the children that are in the in in on the vacation they also get exposed to the sciences so it's a very dynamic environment i think and i think that's a, a good place to wrap it up mostly because i know you have to jump to another meeting uh and uh, no that's that's a terrible sign off phrase um so <laughs> That is very true, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll continue workshopping that. Uh, thank you for joining. And there's uh, something to think about, science in your tourism. Excellent. Thank you, Dario. And we'll see you at our next episode. Today's music is Tropical House by John Sid from pixabay.com. To learn more about opportunities to incorporate your science into tourism, well, go to your local tourism industry and ask. It seems to be a wide open field.
Global Dot Science is a production of Science Voices, a U.S. nonprofit organization. To learn more about our mission and to read updates on our U.S. Virgin Islands astrotourism projects, please go to www.sciencevoices.org.